want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulsuk and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Well, personally, uh, I feel as though I'm three hours and 38 minutes richer than I was on Saturday because I did not watch the Oscars. <laughs> Fair enough. See, I, I normally don't watch. I certainly don't care about them but you know it worked out so that i was able to watch with with my dad and uh my sister for part of it and that just i had a lot of fun getting into into the the awards and and just really just the experience the communal experience of watching and you kind of marveling at some of the speeches and uh lady gaga freaking killing it now here's the thing we did not need the montage they did from the movie it was terrible it was not well edited and it was choppy and dude we know the sound of music you just had scarlett johansson talk about how it's one of the all-time classics we don't need uh we don't need to be reminded of what the film is so that was stupid and long um but then gaga came out and killed it and i i don't think she's getting enough props today uh you know the day after as we're recording because she's getting some but not from everyone. And not only <laughs> is The Hills Are Alive uh, a, an iconic song, but specifically Julie Andrews' version is so well known that it's very hard to sing that song without it sounding horrifically cheesy and or like a pale imitation of Julie Andrews. Um, so she not only did she do a really good job with that one, and just because someone is an amazing singer, pop star does not mean that they can pull off such a different, like a tonally different uh, presentation and vocal style. Uh, and so, yes, obviously Lady Gaga is amazing, but that doesn't mean that she can pull off just classic Broadway. Um, and when she gets to climb, like, I gotta get Slate, you know, wasn't really a fan of just like half a bar of Edelweiss, either cut it or do it because it's the most amazing song in the show, as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, uh, then she ends with Climb Every Mountain. And Climb Every Mountain is not a particularly enthralling song because almost no one can sing it and have it be interesting. It's really freaking hard to sing, guys. Anybody who's out there who doesn't know, it takes so much air, but you have to constantly build as all these really long notes and you have to have intensity and, and really propel the emotion of it through Climb Every Mountain. I mean, like, to, to have your energy crescendo through that and to, to to have the power of your conviction sustained through all those long notes it's really hard to do and she nailed it ah oh, it was really it was, and then she came out and she was clearly like oh my god guys to the entrance uh it, it was just a lovely moment um so yes i hear what you're saying about the oscars because normally <laughs> that's me but i you know between some fantastic speeches 
all around. Um, from the beginning of the show to straight through to pretty much the end of the show, there was there was memorable and heart heartwarming and you know like jk simmons started things off by telling everybody to call their dads and then we get to the end of the night and we've got uh we've got this the awesome stuff from patricia arquette and from just like there were so many for you know the they um was it live action short um and the 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 writer of an imitation game and i mean the there were so many the guy from poland so many great speeches. Not everything worked in the ceremony or whatever, but I'll still give it to them because it was it was so much fun. It's been a roller coaster weekend for me because I spent Saturday not getting tickets for Comic Con. I'm so sorry about that. I never thought I'd be sorry about someone not going to Comic Con. Yeah, but I am sorry. We'll see. Uh, we're waiting to hear if Site will be uh, have, will get press accreditation. But if we don't, then there will be no uh, uh, Televerse coverage of Comic Con this year. So. Fingers crossed out there, everyone. Um, so, so, but which do you care about less, Comic Con <laughs> or the Oscars? Um, the Oscars are a greater force for evil than 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 Comic Con is, because uh, they've been around longer and um, and they've done more harm to visual culture uh, as a whole. I will say that the best part of the Oscars for me this year, besides not watching them was watching the uh, live tweet reaction while I did other stuff mm-hmm. because everyone was everyone, I don't understand why people watch if they already hate 90% of the nominees and then they get incensed at who wins <laughs> which which they know is going to be from a narrow set of movies they mostly don't like or performances they think are mostly terrible uh, I think they just people just get a kick out of being outraged which is not new but uh, but the, but the ways in which people's rage manifested itself was uh consistently fresh and interesting and fun and also specifically the lefty rage that happened when nph made that treason remark was incredible (laughs) Uh, i personally thought it was funny uh and i think and i and my my instant thought was actually snowden probably thought that was funny and he actually came out in his reddit ama today and was like yeah you get called a few things when you when you when you pull a stunt like this it just happens Got yeah. to thicken your skin. So that was nice to hear. Glenn Greenwald did not think it was very funny uh, in, a, in a very Glenn, Glenn Greenwald sort of way. Anyway, I've already talked more about a thing I didn't watch than I should have. Uh, I will say, though, that you're lucky that they didn't get ScarJo to do this, the Sound of Music thing based on her latest single with her girl group. Whew, that is not good, ScarJo. You're good at many things, but that's not one of them. Anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, I do look forward to hearing what our listeners thought of the Oscars. See, I, apparently the secret to not getting outraged is have seen none of the films. And then you just don't mm. care. That helps. That helps. This is It was a big year for me in that out of the, um, out of the nominated films, uh, the best picture films, there's three I haven't seen. That's huge. And I, I have no interest in seeing any of them. Um, so that was big. Um, but yes, I, I can, I look forward to, uh, in the future, upholding this proud new tradition of not watching the Oscars and, or just catching the, the very spare highlights later. (laughs) Well, speaking of highlights, uh, one of the highlights of the podcast this week is of course, we got to speak with Noel Kirkpatrick of TV.com. Noel came back on the podcast to talk about Good Eats, which is our first sort of like educational show that we've done. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little bit different, but we, we had a we had a good time with it. We hope we hope you enjoy the segment. <laughs> so that'll be at the end of the, of the podcast. Uh, but now we've got plenty of TV to talk about this week, so we're gonna go straight on to our weekend TV, and we'll kick things off first with the comedies. Well, it's time for us to go. 
But I want you all to know That karate is not about fighting It's about knowing who you are And being kind and honest While you're kicking for the stars Yeah, that's the Johnny Karate way Keep karate in your heart And aspire to your dreams And always remember You're forever on my team Yeah, that's the Johnny Karate way Karate out! This week in comedy, I'm going to preview Last Man on Earth and talk a little bit about the Odd Couple pilot on CBS. Then we'll both dive in with Fresh Off the Boat, Persistent Romeo, as well as a little talk about the earlier episodes. Parks and Rec had the Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion show and two funerals. Then we have Jane the Virgin, Chapter 14, Always Sunny, The Gang Misses the Boat, Man Seeking Woman, Gavel, Broad City, The Matrix, Adventure Time, Dark Purple. And then we have the HBO comedies, Ghost and Chains for, from Togetherness, Girls, Close Up and Looking, Looking for gordon freeman dude the comedies are trying to kill us they really are although uh it based on certain shows slipping a bit it was not that as insane a week for me personally quality wise yeah and we'll get into it um and i as much as i love it i'm ready for jane to take a month off as it's doing right now just because there's just too many comedies that we talk about right now so uh parks and rec is going to finish up uh, Jane, Jane will have see see all the time that we normally spend on Jane next week. We can spend on Parks, so that that schedule up wise. As a TV fan, boo, but as a podcaster and editor, yay. Um, but let's start off with, uh, my thoughts on Last Man on Earth. This is something that I mentioned in our mid-season preview, but I've seen the first two episodes. This is premiering on, uh, Fox next week, Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday with two episodes. And I really liked it. I thought it was really fun. Um... Will Forte is very strong as the lead, as far as I'm concerned. This is a premise that should, you know, the premise is the title. He's the last man on earth. We don't really know what happened, um, but no, he can't seem to find anyone else in the United States. Um, and so that's your premise. So that could either be incredibly, incredibly limiting or incredibly freeing. And what's fun for me about these two episodes is that instead of being limited and boxed in by what do you do if there's only one guy, it's there's nobody around. So he can do anything he wants and nobody's stopping him. And so he does. Uh, you know, so I, I, I appreciate the, the tone and the, the fun of that sort of, but you know, and there's an inherent sadness, of course, underneath all of this. And they, I think they do a good job of balancing the tone. I know for some critics, uh, they had an issue with the second episode. Um, they weren't, they aren't as convinced, but, uh, and I know what they're talking about, but I can't really get into it. Uh, cause it, <laughs> because it's part of the, dis, you know, the fun of the discovery, you know, really that is part of the fun of the show. So, uh, basically next, we'll talk about it next week and I, I look forward to your thoughts, Simon. But, uh, for, for now, I, I think it's fun and, I think it works, and the issues that other people are having, I see what they're saying, but I think the show I think the show is going a different way now do they does it have an hour long premiere or is it just two episodes? It's an hour long two episode premiere, so it's it it is two episodes together, and that's the hour. It is not an hour long show because we were confused okay. about that initially <laughs> that would be really ballsy. All right, guys, we've got one character, 
And it's an hour long. It's an hour long comedy. Go. Yeah. Not so much. Um, the, the new pilot this week on CBS was The Odd Couple, which is the Matthew Perry and Tom Lennon uh, reboot of, of the, the Neil Simon play. And, of course, the classic TV show, which is one that we're due to do on the th- thing on the DVD shelf. We talk about these classic, all this classic TV recently. I think The Odd Couple would be would be mighty fun. But anyways, uh, this is... It, it's damning it with such faint praise. It's fine. Uh, there have been so much worse. Uh, there have been so many pilots, uh, especially on CBS, but on, on the networks in the past few years that have been just much, much worse than this. And uh, so I, you know, I I chuckled a few times. I just, out of sheer Tom Lennon, basically, because he's really committing to the character of Felix. Um I agree with the other criticisms I've heard of Matthew Perry's kind of sleepwalking through the role, but uh, I do think that there, it could work. It could become something fun. I don't know if they want to put the energy into making that happen, but there are, you know, there are way less offensive ways to spend a half an hour than watching the odd couple. Is that, is that a hard enough sell for you, Simon? <laughs> it is a tough sell. I mean, I'm surprised that either of them puts any effort in considering a, it's a remake and B, they both have more money than God. Well, there is, there is that. Uh, but you know, I've been waiting for Tom Lennon to have a, a really nice, uh, really fitting vehicle. And I feel like he actually could be a lot of fun in this role. Um, so I don't know that anybody's going to watch it. I don't know. I don't know what the ratings were and I don't know how long of a life the show's going to have, but it should be better than it is. There's no reason it shouldn't be better than it is. Um, but I still, you know, I guess maybe because it's growing up from watching a lot of nineties sitcoms, nineties TV. I'm, this is one of those sitcoms that feels more dated or just like an older type that, uh, I, it feels more comfortable to me rather than grown worthy and, who knows? I bet there's, there's a lot of personal preference in there, but yeah, I like the cast. I like the premise or I like the, that. I, I enjoy the various versions of the odd couple that I've seen. So it could just be an affinity for the source material. Does uh, Wendell Pierce get anything to do? Not really, um, but he's fun <laughs> though. You know, he gets nothing to do. Dave Foley shows up here and is just like, there is not enough. There is not a strong enough term for the amount of sleepwalking he's doing. And his two scenes, uh, which is disappointing because I'm a big fan of Dave Foley, but, uh, dude, come on, <laughs> you should be better in this. I, I assume I know the answer here. Are you going to check out the odd couple or, or are you going to hold on that one? Uh, as, as my answer is going to be for a lot of things this season, not unless you tell me I have to. Fair enough. Well, uh, I didn't tell you you had to watch Fresh Off the Boat, but I did say that uh, I thought it was really good. And uh, and, and you, you watched some. How much have you seen now of the show? Just this week's episode, or did you go back and watch the previous? Uh, I watched episodes four and five. Okay. So that was last week's second episode and this week's episode. Correct. Um, this week's episode was the uh, was the sexual harassment one. Yes. Yes. Slash the talk, uh, which Brett was Gellin. my preferred. Yes, my my preferred of the two episodes. Um, yes, it's it's very funny, and I think more importantly, uh, it's it nails a very tricky set of tonal balances. Like in, for instance, in last week's episode, which I liked a little bit less, but still enjoyed. We had this whole plot dynamic of the family and this this class issue and trying to impress the mother and this sort of bitter sniping going back and forth was just 
getting to be a bit much by the three-quarter mark, and then when they finally do turn that, it's a little bit sudden and 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 there's my favorite word schematic. Uh, but I think it works based on the performances and the writing. Uh, and this week again, there's sort of a there's a mix of letting the kids sort of fend for themselves, and then eventually the parents stepping in and being like, "Okay, this is silly. Let's be parents now and actually like do the the, the good parent thing." And I have to say, the talk scene. Uh, as much as I know everyone loves Constance Wu, and I understand why now, um, Randall Park steals the episode with that scene. Yeah, it was pretty great. Uh, the, I like the little clips that we get, like the splicing together that worked really well. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then to then have the capper be, uh, do you tell him not to date rape <laughs> with Constance Wu and the attack with the pillow or whatever? Uh, that that I, news <laughs> was was pretty fantastic. So yeah, you were saying you you get the Constance Wu love now. Yes. Yeah, she's pretty great. Um, and these are these are fun episodes. This week's episode I thought was particularly nice, and just like the um, the I love when they get called into the principal's office, which has now happened a couple times, um, and just the reaction of wait, wait, why why are we here? It's just like the like recurring like no, but see, but but why are we here? Uh, they, they've done a good job with that, and hopefully that'll be a recurring segment or like a well, recurring bit. And more than just it's funny and good, and you should watch it. I think that it's uh, to tie it in with the other good uh, network sitcom uh, to, to, to separate it from Jane the Virgin, which I don't consider a sitcom. The other good network sitcom of the last, I don't know, 12 months, uh, Blackish, uh, it has a sense of specificity and a sense of lived experience and a sense of uh, per- actual earnest personality and it, you know and they have certain formal similarities as well they both have uh narration and they both have uh like the editing patterns are pretty similar and they both rely on uh on very specific pop culture signifiers um so they're they're tied together in those ways as well but i hope that people are taking notes is all i'm saying yeah we could do with more more sitcoms in the vein of of blackish and uh fresh off the boat because like you say those have been the two good new ones over the past year. Let's move on to a sitcom having one of its best seasons, I would say, and that's Parks and Rec, which has the Johnny Crotty Super Awesome Musical Explosion Show and Two Funerals. Um, these, I think, are, for me at least, uh, weren't quite as strong as the rest of the season has been, but I still think all, you know, because next week will be the, the two-part finale of the series. Uh, this has got to be one of the strongest seasons of the show. I think it's been really consistent, and even on a slightly down week here, like we get with these episodes, uh, it's still... I think I was still laughing. I was still really enjoying myself. I think it's been a pretty consistent season. Uh, I think to call it one of the best, I I think we need to go back and watch seasons like three and possibly two again. Uh, and then remember just how good the show was. Yeah, I would before say we make those are call. the best. And then then after that comes this. Eventually, we will do a, we will do a shelf and we will figure this all out. Um, but I mean, it's definitely been better. Uh, than at least last season. I can't. I couldn't possibly tell you the season before. It's just been, it's it's been too long. We've been watching too much television. Uh, definitely a marked improvement. The uh, I would agree with you that it's that neither episode was as good as as what we got last week. The um, as much as I appreciate the attempt to do a total formal break with the Johnny Karate episode, um, I, I, my misgivings with Andy are well known, and I will not go. I will not trod through them again, uh, but they were full. They were 
they were ever present throughout that episode, so I wasn't laughing, and therefore it didn't work. Uh, second episode was better. I like that they got all their cameos out of the way this week. Uh, this is like anything they would ever want to do, any incidental character they wanted to bring back, this is the week they're going to do it, and I assume next week they'll focus more on the core cast, I would hope. Uh, that's a smart move, and uh, I the I, I almost don't want to say, but the when the guy showed up, the famous guy... Uh, if you haven't seen the episode yet, that really worked. I thought that mm-hmm. was a nice, nice scene. Yeah, that was a good way to do that. Um, I liked the Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion show more than you did. Uh, I, cause I thought it was good. It just, I, I have really liked most of this season. So it was just a tick under for me. Some of the beats didn't quite come together for me. The, I think because it was so strictly show within the show, you know, like with, direct to camera and all of that when they're following them around and when all of a sudden that you know we get the big emotional moment with april and andy and it's this nice little scene but theoretically it's also the show like that those transitions did not work for me um but you know things like i think this is a hug moment with ron those really did work for me and Professor Smart Brain and the Boring Buzzer and the one guy in the audience, kid in the audience in, you know, cosplaying as Professor Smart Brain and all of that. That that did all really work for me. And uh, so, so I, on the whole, I think I liked it better than you did. Um, as for two funerals, I you know, we ha- had a nice, uh, very sweet scene with um, with the Natalie Morales character. I liked how that proposal went. And yeah, you know, I really enjoyed this season. Um, they've been a lot kinder to Gary. Um, and I, that's been, I think a nice thread to have in, in their final season as specifically Donna has been much more aware of him. Um, and I, so I, I've liked, I like that thread where he becomes mayor. It feels like a natural progression from what we saw of mayor Gunderson to, to this. I, I sort of, I, I got enough of that, honestly, last week with the sort of Donna and, and, uh, and Gary adventure. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. The ring. Uh, yeah, with the ring. Uh, I thought that was great. This was kind of a retread of that to me. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was still fine. Um, I would like Natalie Morales to have gotten a character. Mostly, she yeah. doesn't. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a running thread with Natalie Morales. Can we please fix that? It would be nice. Yeah. And I think it's tricky because they don't have very much time. Um, and they have to decide where they're going to put it. But, um, yeah, it was a nice scene. But you're right. She doesn't have a character. Yeah, she's and not a character. She's a, she's a happy ending. She's a walking happy ending. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, uh, let's move on to our, our next show, which is Jane the Virgin, which is going on a month hiatus. So we won't be talking about it for a while. Yeah, I know. The Jane the Virgin not Award is going to have to go to someone else for, for a few weeks here. But um, what did you think of our cliffhanger here? Uh, <laughs> there was so much good stuff in this episode. Um, I think what I, what really impressed me is, um, the breadth of content in this episode is sort of dazzling. Like we get those ridiculous uh, and hilarious, uh, flashes of Jane watching stuff as though it's a telenovela, but we also get, uh, some really sad stuff, obviously when, uh, when Raphael finds out about his dad, but we, and we also get, I think an important step, which is we get the first episode in which someone other than... Uh, so basically, when Jane maybe missteps or screws up, as opposed to one of the boys misstepping or screwing up, mm-hmm. which is every episode. Uh, so it was a nice little reversal there. And we get the sequence in which Jane forces uh, uh, forces Zoe so, yeah. and uh, 
and Rahelio to talk about their feels. Dad. Uh, Dad. Uh, so so much good stuff, and 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 very different good stuff, and I like that it's all crammed into this one hour. Yeah, it really, um, it's amazing how much they fit in, and yet it doesn't feel rushed. So that's to that's to the the writing and the performances, but also the editing to to make that feel as natural as it does. Um, the you're absolutely right about about Jane's growing up. Uh, in a very understandable and relatable way. And I also really like little details where she's like, it's been crazy, but it's only been a few months. And so I, I like that reminder of it. It, it, it ties in with the, the her perspective of the telenovela throughout, you know, just really going, yeah, we realize how crazy all of this is. And finally we have Jane commenting on that to, to everybody else in her life and seeing her have that same experience that the audience is having of how heightened everything is. I, and I was talking to you while I was watching it. I just I loved that um, Raphael and Michael telenovela scene because I was just watching it thinking of all the 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 slash the slash fic you know people at home just watching it going and kiss. <laughs> but you know, like, but the people who make you in the Virgin, they must know this. Oh yeah, like, definitely. I, like the they're they are. I feel like this Jane is already one of the shows to have demonstrated the greatest awareness of how to successfully, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, manipulate a fan base. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, that's, that's there. It's how they're playing the scene. And I think it's hilarious and uh, a lot of fun. Um, the, the part of the episode that is the least successful to me is Aaron. That's not a character. Um, the heat, I don't believe him. So either that's a performance that needs to get better or, there's something else going on. Either one is possible. I would, I would, I guess I would say uh, any thoughts on Aaron. Uh, not really. He doesn't take up much of the episode. He's not particularly offensive to me. Um, I don't know how to feel yet about how they're handling Petra. Petra's mm-hmm. always like the, the Petra's character who works for me some weeks and then threatens not to the following week and seems to just go back and forth. And right now I'm somewhere in between with her. And uh, the last thing I'll mention is I really like them giving, Louisa more backbone and making her more relatable here that scene in, in the meeting at the hotel where she like her brother keeps calling her crazy it's like you just put me into an insane asylum because I told the truth so maybe you don't get to use the c word for a while yes. and his complete I mean obviously he's grieving but so is she uh, and his unawareness of that just is like his lack of awareness I should say of that uh would be it would be a, a, like a continual stab in the in the chest. It would be like he is you know he had already stabbed her in the back by sending her to an insane asylum, and now every time he talks to her, he finds a way to twist that knife by bringing it up again and again and not respecting her wishes. Um, so yeah, she's stupidly mani- like stupidly easily manipulated by Petra. It's just ridiculous how quickly and easily she's manipulated by Petra, but. Uh, I did like that they gave her that little bit of humanity. Yes, and I also love the escape sequence. Yeah, that's really great. Let's go in this way. Oh, so much fun. Uh, yeah, uh, let's move on. Unless you have any other thoughts about Jane? No, no. Let's. We will miss it. Um, Always sunny. The gang misses the boat. Uh, I love. I, I I love that uh, end of the teaser where they they literally miss the boat. That was uh, it was a lot of fun and just watching again whenever they have the gang split off. And just start infecting everybody else's lives. It's always, uh, it's always entertaining. And I think this is another one in that form. And it, I think it stays true to form and really does work. What did you think? 
Yeah, they've done a few episodes with, like, an alternate gang. Uh, this is definitely not the first time they've done it, but it never really gets old. Mm-hmm. And they find other people who have kind of a similar dynamic but aren't as diseased. And this was, I think, another good example of that. Uh, I also love that this is an episode in two that in that, you know, midway through the 10th season of a very loosely serialized comedy in which we have two major characters make out and it's just a gag. Yeah. It's not a plot point. Well, and even just it's the 10th season. Like, have we ever spent time alone? And I'm trying to think back and it must have happened. Right. You'd think. But, you know, they, they have a pairing that feels fresh and different. Um, that they can really explore here, uh, and that that was pretty fun with 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 D and Charlie. Um, oh God, Frank! Any other any other Frank <laughs> Frank is a poison with this other gang. Uh, just just again, also very successful. Any other thoughts on this one? How does this compare to some of the other highlights of the season for you? I think this is probably up there with uh, with with the better ones this season. It's been it's it's a very consistent season with one very obvious highlight that we've already talked about. I would say that if if you're a fan of the show, uh, consider reading uh, the profile that Rolling Stone put out this week of uh, Danny DeVito at seventy, uh, and sort of th- th- just the story of his life and how he got to be where he is now and what he's like now is all just insane. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to our next show. That's Man Seeking Woman Gavel. My review is up at the AV Club. And um, this was one of the episodes that they sent initially. And so it was interesting to see it play so much later in the season than maybe I was expecting. But I, I thought especially where it fits in the role of uh, Josh's progression over the course of the season, I think it's one of the strongest, if not the strongest of the season. What did you think? I would agree with that. Uh, I'm glad when I found out that this wasn't airing third, that it was airing, like, what, it, was it fifth, sixth? When I found that out, I was worried that, because in this episode, we, we see him again, and he's got a girlfriend, and they've been going out, we, they've been going out for a while. I was really worried that was going to be a character that we met earlier, and I was going to have, if only because I'm selfish, and I don't like to go over things that I was already going to know. Hmm. Um, I like that we get that, it's a smart decision that it just happens, and we just see what this is like now. Uh, without having to do two or three episodes of build up, it's kind of a neat little decision. Um, the obvious highlight of the episode is the courtroom stuff with Mark Evan Jackson, who uh, every year we give out a six man award. Uh, we choose one and someone who's appeared in the most stuff. Yeah. And just to look at his credits from last year, Mark Evan Jackson blew <sighs> away everyone we thought yeah. of by a lot. By he a was lot. In he was in, and some of the, some of it was voice form, but still, fifteen series last year. That's a mea culpa on our parts, because you went with Rob Hubel, who blew away my picks, because he was on like wasn't he on like ten things? Yeah, something nine like or ten. That. Yeah, which I thought was impressive. Which is until you're being compared to Mark uh, Evan Jackson, uh, who just you know he's great here. I love all the little asides they give him and you know Josh's progression through the courtroom scene works very well for me like the rule of 3 is very well used here. Um and and like the 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 ties for me to like anatomy of a murder and like well I'm just a country space chicken uh <laughs> and all that like that that really worked well like the first time he goes to Webster's dictionary and then you know like all of that the that yeah, really yeah. did work but the even the banter with the courtroom. Oh yeah, it's great. The the two-horned Asian careful. Uh and 
and, and even just um the costuming you know they're wearing the 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 ladies are in hats and they have fans and everything like the 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 way that that was all constructed was pretty fun apparently that is not actually a scene from carnival that we see uh so they <laughs> There's like they tied into some of the ideas that voiceover also not from Carnival, but I liked that they brought the show back. It's nice that they have a few kind of recurring gags like that, like the infinite jest thing, and now the Carnival thing. How did the rest of the episode yes. work for you? Uh, I thought it was pretty good overall. The whole um, alien sex thing was okay, but I'm glad that it wasn't didn't carry over to the rest of the episode. Um, that's a sentence that I can't say about too many shows. Um, the uh, what I like what I what I like about this episode and the show in general, and I hope it does more of, uh, is it has that blend of experimenting with uh, sort of magic realism and things like that, but it also has, like you said, uh, a very old school sensibility to some of its gags, like the way that you know we that that courtroom sequ- set of sequences adheres very strictly to the rule of three, like more strictly than any set of gags I can think of in a long time, and it really works because yeah. the rule of three is there for a reason. <laughs> um, and I like that blend of old school and new school. And I, I, when the show is funny, I'm willing to forgive uh, some of the sort of creakier aspects, which are not absent from this episode. Yeah, the suburb scene really didn't work for me at all. Um, it, I think it really well. I think it does a really good job of capturing a mindset and a perspective that I'm well aware is one that people adhere to and and, and feel strongly. I just think that's bullshit. Uh, so and sexist and really out outmoded and I get really annoyed at that, uh, but it does a really good job of portraying that mindset that I hate mm. uh, and wish everyone <laughs> would just grow the fuck up about. Um, so you know, yay! Because it's frustrating because John Daly is an uh, actor I I really enjoy, a comedian I enjoy, and. Um, so he does a very good job at being the rage-filled person who takes all his anger out uh, on his wife, even though it's like, oh, no, she's not snorting coke anymore, guys. Heaven forbid. But then is the how self-aware is the show of that because the extremes to which they push his, his monologue there? Um, but does that make it better if it's still painfully sexist underneath but the sexism makes sense because it's coming from a tour that's you know <laughs> this is the eternal problem of man seeking women. yeah exactly mike set up the tour so of course mike is is painting the suburbs as this just hell for men who've been beaten down by their overbearing wives like it's try it's, they did a good job of something that i really dislike what did you, what did you think of the suburbs thing uh, it didn't bother me mostly because a, I don't live in the suburbs, and B, um, I think that it makes uh, a double sense because we're dealing with a set of very urban characters who are dealing with you know big city dating experience, and they have a very specific mindset about the suburbs versus the urban environment. So uh, for them to have that set of biases makes perfect sense. Uh, but I, I I can understand how it would get your goat. Yeah, it's one of those kind of things that it happens so much it's like this is a joke we've seen before i haven't seen sex from the alien from the planet sex before <laughs> but i yes, have seen true. the suburbs thing let's move on to our next show broad city we've loved uh broad city all season this is the matrix um this was the first one that there were a couple gags where i was like i think it's being stretched too long there you know uh, alana on her roller skates looking for abby 
uh, was a bit, it didn't, you know, like the pacing of it, I was like, it, this was the first time I was like, Broad City, it pains me to say this, but wrap it up. Uh, I didn't laugh at this episode, I have to say, which is a weird experience for me. Um, I mean, it ha- it happened a few times last season. It hasn't happened yet this season, and it happened to me with this episode, which is too bad. Uh, the- I remember reading a profile about um, them, uh, the, the, the ladies of Broad City, when they were working on this season. And they were shooting this episode, and they were describing Alana grinding on a tree and doing the things that she's doing. And to see it on paper, it's kind of amusing. To watch it actually happen is like, okay, like I, I see what you did there. Why is this happening? Why is I don't, like it's it's just like so yeah. it's like they got it's like they actually got really stoned on set that day. It's like <laughs> no, today let's actually get stoned and, and and make an episode as opposed to just pretending to be and it's hilarious. Mm. Uh, and so at some point something was just lost in translation. And like this is a broad city episode, partially about a dog wedding. That should be. Uh, that should be a slam dunk. That should be, with Janine Garofalo, like that. That should yeah. be, that should be uh, a home run, uh, sports metaphor, uh, grand slam, sports metaphor of your choice, and it just didn't land for me. See, I like the dog wedding stuff that we got, but and, and I, I had fun with um, uh, Abby uh, and her American Idol or whatever that was that she was doing uh, in her mind as she's waiting for all the 30 minutes in the pit. Um, but but no, on the whole, it, you know, I, and again, I like the Lincoln stuff too, but it just didn't come together. And uh, yeah, it could have used some some more thought, I think. Any other thoughts, speaking of, of Broad City, or is it time for Adventure Time? Uh, no, very committed, but not especially funny to me. Yes, let's talk about Adventure Time. Susan Strong. I love Susan Strong. Susan Strong is great. Uh, this is <laughs> Baby! This is uh, Dark Purple. And uh, again, I, I enjoy when they they have these, you know, like we, I was saying, I was missing some of these really memorable um, episodes in this last batch that don't necessarily focus on Finn and Jake. And uh, and this, I think, is was a really fun one, just like last week's Lemon Hope episode was really fun. Um, what did you think of, was it Purple's? floor or what was it? what's the name of the, the drink again the, the drink i don't remember but i and not only is this not a finn and jake centric episode but finn and jake are literally in the beginning and they're like we should investigate no i do not want to investigate guys i don't want to know this is a thing that i like i don't want to know how, <laughs> how i don't want to know how it's made i love that and i like that it, it that it, it's down to another character to do that and go through that process yeah it's pretty fun and and the um who are you to judge our people or whatever you know it's a nice little you know I've, at least to me it felt like a nod to however many star trek episodes have had that exact plot Yes. We had a uh, kind of fun and trippy uh, episode of Adventure Time this week. Well, not just compared to Lemmy Grab, but still, you know. Uh, we also had a pretty trippy, at least for me, episode of Togetherness. How did this one work for you? And were you as excited to see Mary Steenburgen turn up as I was? Um, for about six seconds, I was excited to see Mary Steenburgen until uh, it was very clear to me that she was going to be playing an irritating Sundance like caricature <laughs> character thing person manic pixie annoying not real person thing um i don't i don't really know how to convey how annoying i found this episode in general um i mean there were like some individual beats here and there that worked fine but this was sort of all the um sort of irritatingly twee 
um, typical, I don't really know how else to put it in a derogatory way, except to keep saying Sundance, um, aspects that I that sometimes crop up in the, in the Duplass brothers films and have been, I think, relatively restrained for most of the series, I think came out in full force this week, especially in those Steenbergen scenes, um, especially in the, the very, uh, very sort of cookie cutter rising action of Duplass's scenes in the, uh, in the mixing booth with everything that happened with Melanie Linsky and, and the guy, and, oh, we have to lift chairs and get sweaty and, and work on the door and whew, heavy breathing. And just really, we're doing this. We're doing it like this. Did none of this bother you? Or is this just me? It didn't bother me so much, but I absolutely see what you're saying. Um, I, I enjoyed the Steam version character and uh, enjoyed the episode as a whole. And I guess I, maybe because I'm not as invested as I know some people are in the show as a whole, it wasn't as frustrating for me. It was just sort of seeing a diff- them play with a different tone and a different... Uh, yeah, I, I guess I it... I was I was glad to see them doing something with the Duplass character because um, I feel like he's just been so internal um, that I mean obviously we had the the scene at the hotel that was really effective but um, it was nice to see them do something different with him. Let's move on though to uh, girls because <laughs> it's time for the painful back to back of girls and looking. Um, painful mm-hmm. in different ways. How did girls close up work for you? And were you glad to spend more time with Mimi Rose? Uh, I was. Uh, I seem to like this episode better than a lot of people did. I, I read some rather uh, negative takes on the episode, and I, I really liked the idea of right after the breakup, uh, the first perspective we get is not Hannah's, it's Adam's. And see, seeing what their morning routine is like, whether or not it's genuine, uh, I like the idea of um, if this is if this is ultimately a show about Hannah, it kind of makes sense that we get that the first thing we get after that is a shot of them because in the, if if you can imagine being in her situation, of course you're going to be wondering what their life is like. You're going to be wondering uh, what you know. You know, you wake up that morning. How is he waking up? How is she waking up? What's that like? And uh, sort of you know trying to imagine putting yourself in their shoes and sort of wondering what might have been. So I don't know if this is something they're going to keep doing, uh, keep focusing on this character as, as much. I can't imagine that they will for that long. But uh, I actually thought as a progression, it made perfect sense, whereas other people seem to find that kind of weird and alienating. No, I think it worked. Um, yeah, and, and like you say, I think it makes sense for, you know, either we don't see them at all or we do what this episode does. And so I, th- I thought that worked. And, I mean, it's not particularly subtle, but to, to go from Hannah... I need you, Hannah, to I want you, but I don't need you, Mimi Rose, and explore how Adam responds to that and the pros and cons of each. Um, and if one is healthy and the and another isn't, it makes sense. And especially it, it fits with, you know, Adam trying to see what this completely new, completely different relationship with Mimi Rose is going to be. Now, having that extrapolated out to I got an abortion without telling you, but I chose to tell you the day after. Um, yeah. I take it you are not a fan of that character trait. Well, it's just like, <laughs> it's hard. It's a difficult thing to understand um, for me. Just, I, I guess she's trying to be more open 
but she's she's respecting him enough to tell him what's going on because she knows he would want to know, but not enough to tell him when there's anything that to, to respect his opinion on the matter. Right. I think that the episode does something really careful with that character, which is that when when the scene happens for the first 30 seconds or 20 seconds, I was sure she was joking. Um, <laughs> and then it becomes then it becomes very clear that she's not. At which point, for at least a solid couple of minutes, you think, "Oh my God, this is already over!" <laughs> like they're mm-hmm. just they're going to torpedo this immediately, uh, which I thought would have been a terrible idea. Uh, the episode does a, uh, I think, a really good job of showing you how she arrived at that course of action or inaction uh, without necessarily condoning it mm-hmm. um, or being unnecessarily uh, being uh, strictly judgy either. Um, and uh, I, I I like that when the episode is over, yes, there's there's that lingering weirdness between them, but I don't think it necessarily means that they're doomed. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm actually I don't know I I like Gillian Jacobs on the show, and uh, I thought all their scenes together were, were really effective. Well, and it fits very much with the very with the little we've seen of her of that keynote. It fits completely mm-hmm. with you know what one would expect based on her her keynote and the the bit of the keynote that the the previous episode seemed to key into seemed to really focus on which was how much of the the stress or the drama in your life is actually yours and how much is constructed through stress about relationships um so that right. that that fit it's a it's it's a very clear tie and that that made sense um and it's nice to see them again doing something a little different with with that right and i like that she's she is precisely as if not more self-centered than hannah but that self-centeredness just takes a different form yeah um you know hannah has the sort of self-centeredness where she relies heavily on others whereas uh obviously mimi rose's self-centeredness literally means centered in self and other other people's uh you know contributions or presences are a little bit more incidental which adam has a has a difficult time dealing with uh so yeah i mean it's like you said it's not subtle but it's uh it's it's a sort of juxtaposition we haven't really seen on the show before and uh also i liked mark maron's little bit as as the counselor that was cute though i had so much fun with ray's storyline and i like how much how it really makes sense to me i like I that's a progression that feels so natural and of course you know, the, this is the d- direction that they're going to take the character and that he's taking his life. Whether or not he has success in politics, I don't know. But for a character who likes to talk and has so many opinions, I think it fits really well. And I like that we're, we get him go, moving in a direction of trying to, well, really help himself. But, you know, in theory, in theory also help out his community in a way that feels gradual and, and earned and earnest, as opposed to Hannah's sort of whiplash decision of I like it when other people approve of me. That's sort of like liking to help people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Bob Balaban as the, the therapist, just like, mm. Oh my God. He's like, I, this is, I can't handle how mature you're being right now about this whole Adam thing. This is like, <laughs> wow. I'm glad they don't have her spiral down and more painful scenes with Q-tips. Uh, this is going a different way. Oh, you had to remind me of the yeah. Q-tips. So, um, but let's let's move from one painful thought. I, I like this episode. My review uh, should be up by the time you're hearing this at Sound on Sight. Um, you can check out my fuller thoughts there. But let's move from one painful thought to 
a scene that I just, I was watching through my hands and that's looking and uh, looking for Gordon Freeman with one of the most painful things I've watched in quite a long time. That sequence. And it was even more painful because the second that Patrick dons that incredible Gordon Freeman outfit, as much as he does look like Edward Snowden in an Iron Man costume, um, if you can put that out of your mind, it really is a great Gordon Freeman costume. The only thing about the episode that I don't buy is that more people don't recognize the costume because Half-Life is insanely popular. I mean, did you recognize the costume? I've never played Half-Life, so no. So no? I didn't there, know okay. who Gordon Freeman was. But I, you there know, we go. I can identify very strongly with, this costume is amazing! And no one recognizes Let me just, it. I'll hold up a picture of what this is a costume of and then you can be impressed. I've wanted to do that many times. Right. Uh, okay, fair enough. If you don't know it, then I yeah. guess it makes sense that a bunch of other people wouldn't know it. Yeah, I, I still I, found that strange. I dressed up as the TARDIS two years ago and had one person who came to the door recognize. I was handing out candy of the, the parents and all the children all night, one person. And that's the TARDIS. So I can identify. See, I think if you did that even this year, you'd have a higher success rate. Yeah. Uh, that could be my imagination. They really captured that, though. Um, uh, yes. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail your conversation. No, about that's all right. Patrick. My conversation with myself. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, I thought that I was going to ride my glee at that costume all the way to the end of the episode. I was deeply incorrect. Um, <laughs> I've done some, I've pulled some boners in public before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know, had a few too many and done some embarrassing things before. But that speech, it's incredible to me. Patrick will need to thank his lucky stars next week that he still has any friends because that was, uh, wow. That was like, remember, do you remember the, um, what was the name of the, the David, uh, the David Cross series that we thought was the, the apex of, of cringing? The increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Yeah, that was like almost Todd Margaret levels of cringing. It was just, and because you could see how it was gonna waterfall too yes. as you're as you're watching. And, and as soon as the only person to get his costume is Brady, uh, which is just insult to injury. Um, and Brady, of course, is awesome and is wearing a Max costume too. So you're like, damn it, you're cool. Why can't yeah. you just not be cool? Uh, as soon as that happens, you know the night's not gonna end well and. It just the way maybe don't throw a Halloween party if all of your friends are, you know, in happy, successful relationships and the two men that you are closest to being involved with are both in happy, successful relationships, theoretically. Although in his defense, uh, he doesn't expect one of them to show up. Yeah, but still. And yeah, anyway, so yeah, that. Oh. And it's so not a sequence I expect from looking. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just I nothing previously that had happened on the show prepares you for just how horrific. See, yeah, but the episode builds to it really well, I think. The whole yes. party sequence. And so by the time, as soon as he stands up at the, and, and they keep showing him drinking and he's, you know, they have enough people comment on how, you know, how much you can smell him coming, you know, that yeah, yeah. as soon as he picks up the mic, you know, what's going to be bad. It fits so well with Patrick as we know him. It felt very organic. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was 
like I said, I literally cannot remember the last time I watched a sequence through my hands. Not Hannibal, you know, not any of these other shows. Not, not these, like the Americans a couple weeks ago. Not the Americans, not Steve Procopi Horror's pick, Steve Procopi's Horror Picks. You know, we've done five of them. None of those. But this one, I just, I just couldn't. Oh, man. How about, how about the rest <laughs> of the episode? What did you think uh, about the rest? Um, I thought it was fine. It was, it was, it's been a very strong season and this didn't, um, spoil the affair in any way. I was going to use a different phrase, but I think we're trying to do less profanity this week. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, um, this actually, just to go back to Patrick for a moment, this had the only instance I ever thought of while watching looking of, I really need a gif of that, a specific shot of Patrick looking and like disgust at someone's happiness and then turning back to his drink with like screw face. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was a great moment of just uh of just total lack of vanity in, in performance um so that was great uh everything else was sweet i liked i loved the um the, actually the whole array of halloween costumes was amazing from he-man Don's he-man, so Don's he-man costume was so that good. was epic yeah so great and when you first see the wig you're like i don't know but then the way it all comes together you're like the fantastic. wig is perfect sunny and Cher also amazing mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Uh, so yeah, Harry it kind of made me feel bad. Sorry, Harry Fairy totally worked. Right. Yeah, it kind of made me feel bad that I don't really do Halloween, but you should. Halloween's that's just awesome. How it goes. Yeah. Uh, it takes effort and yeah, it does. Public exposure. Yeah. All the all things I don't like. Anyways, uh, so now, uh, what wins your week in uh, in comedy? Jane, does the uh, Jane the Virgin Award go to Jane the Virgin? Well, considering we can't give it out for another month. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll give it. Oh, man. Yeah, I, can't, I just it hurt too much for me to give it to looking. So I'll give it to uh, Jane the Virgin as well, even though it was very, very well done. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and reality. In genre and reality, I'm going to talk briefly about Arrow and Banshee again. Then we'll both talk about the 100, and then we'll uh, round out the segment by talking a little reality with the documentary series The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst. So first up, genre. Um, I watched Arrow, The Return, as well as Banshee Breach. I'm going to talk about them together, and so I'll keep it as spoiler-free as I can. I love that with Ollie, you know, dying right at mid-season theoretically um he everybody saw the list of episode titles and got to this one is like oh the return oh so that's when he's gonna come back to starling city and no not at all they did a couple episodes early so i like the the writers kind of screwing with the fans in that way but then the return they do actually get a very notable character return for me it was just yay 
name of character the actor played on a different show that I like way more. But I still thought it worked here. And, uh, the, you know, there's there's really fun fight sequences. Finally, the secrets are out in the open. Finally. And secrets. Um, and on the whole, um, mostly just very glad to have uh, a certain alumnus an alumnus of a show I know we both love back on, even just for one episode. For Banshee, the the stylistic approach of the, you know, I like that they do the, the, the bank job this week. And or I guess bank, it's not a bank, but the vault job. Uh, the, the way that they split up the frame between the different cameras is creative. It works really well. I like the little glimpse we get into Rebecca's mind. I think that's one of the best uses of perspective um the, the the kind of editing that the show likes to do in quite a while it works really well and uh i'm i don't care about chayton at all um but hey you know it's nice to see that hood is still being very much affected by siobhan um and yeah another solid episode i'm not loving the show as much as so many others are so you know our friends over at uh uh, under the hood are, are liking the show much more than I am this season, but I do think this was a particularly effective episode and I'm glad that they, uh, they didn't save the, the heist for the end of the season. They, they did it here. So that, that I thought worked. Let's move on to the hundred, uh, resurrection and you're right. We talked about this before we started recording. You're right. There was no Raven, which boo on you, the hundred, no Raven. Come on. She could have come in at the end. Come on. They, they, she could have contributed in some way. Um, but, for me, that is overpowered or outweighed by there being no Jaha and Murphy. So on the whole, I'm pro this episode. Uh, I keep, I feel bad that I keep leaving you alone with the genre shows, but uh, I don't think I can keep doing the hundred because it so clearly doesn't care about the version of the show that I want it to be. How, how selfish of it to not, (laughs) to not be the show that I specifically want it to be. Um, I don't, I so negative care about every scene with, uh, Henry and Cusick and, uh, and Clark's mom, where they talk about how Clark is making the hard choices, but, oh, but they raised the kids. So it'd be like, okay, we know all this. Why are you just figuring this out now? Yeah. Oh, and that's Paige Turco, by the way. Um, but you know, that the stuff really did work for me because, you know, they have the, they, I feel like they have to have the, you know, Clark's mom is, is outraged by Clark's choice as a beat because someone needs to be. Um, and yet I like that they get that out of the way in one episode, in one episode, they, they, she moves from, I can't believe you would ever do this. You're not my daughter to, oh yeah, we've all had to make some really hard calls. Um, you say this show is not the version that you're interested in. Uh, does that extend to the Mount Weather stuff? Because I like the Mount Weather stuff this week. Um, I just, I'm, I don't really care about Mount Weather either, which is probably okay. not, not a great sign. Uh, I mean, the language that you're using is the language of obligation. Like this is the stuff they have to do now. It's good that they're doing it more quickly than more slowly. Like that's <laughs> not exciting language to me. <laughs> like I'm not. There's nothing that they're doing this season. There's, what, two episodes left? Three episodes left in the season? I don't know. Maybe I'll finish out the season. But uh, there's nothing that they couldn't have done with a regular... Like, last season, they got 13 episodes. I would have been happier with the 13-episode version of Mm -hmm. the season, for sure. So I don't think they did uh, enough with the extended episode order, even if it's not super extended. Um, 
mostly I want the version of the show that was advertised to me when I was convinced to watch it, which is, oh, this is a show that's really about taking chances and uh, characters get off left and right, which is so not true. Um, and, you know, this is daring. It's about uh, hard choices. Like, yes, it is about hard choices to a degree, uh, but to me it's not taking the sorts of chances that I'm interested in. And I'm not even sure it's taking any chances really anymore. Um, and when it does, and I feel like when it does take a chance, like when it, for instance, kills off What's-His-Name, as it did ages ago, um, it pats itself on the back for it a lot and spends a lot of time patting it out in both directions. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's not, I feel like everyone kind of oversold it in certain directions. Okay. Or maybe the, what got us all so excited, we got to that point and then it didn't continue to blossom from there. Uh, possibly. And also, I, I think it's, it's, it's weak in ways that I would really, that I think it needs not to be for, to, to really work for me in terms of character design, in terms of performance. Um, like, by and large, the performances are all fine, but none of them are particularly compelling. Yeah, um, I'd agree. And I think that's, and I, I think that's partially down to the writing as well. The characters are all very archetypal, which I think is a good place to start from. And then sort of, you know, like you said, blossom out and and diversify and that never really happened uh so so now we've got a, a set of characters we're okay with and a set of characters we're annoyed by that we hope not to see and that's you should probably have more than that yeah. and and raven and raven <laughs> uh well you only have the one episode so i guess the the hundred wins your weekend genre for me i'm gonna give it to banshee uh just for the energy of the high sequence but honorable mention to arrow because i did have a lot of fun with some of the you know some of the returning cast there um now we're going to move on to our week in reality for lack of a better term or documentary as it were there's you know there's a documentary series happening right now on hbo uh the jinx life and deaths of robert durst uh this is a limited series i believe just a few more episodes uh we've been remiss in not talking about it the last few weeks whenever there's a documentary I feel like that's something we should be talking about in the Televerse because we, you know, want to get more people to watch that genre on TV. Um, so so what did you think now of the first three episodes of this series? And uh, I guess to start things off, were you familiar with Robert Durst and this story ahead of time? I mean, I'd heard of all good things, which I noted because um, Andrew Jarecki made this foray into making non-documentary film. And, oh, Ryan Gosling, Kirsten Dunst, Frank Langella, etc. Cool. Never actually watched it. Don't know anyone who watched it. It was, it kind of just sort of slipped through the cracks. Um, and uh, then I heard about this series a little bit before I watched it. And personally, I avoided Serial, uh, which I think a lot of people are going to want to compare this to. So I can't make that comparison. I wasn't fond of the way uh, that radio program seemed to be taking um, a real life murder case and turning it into everyone's private Yahtzee game. Um and so I can't not criticize this for doing kind of the same thing, um, it, it, which when I say that, I mean that mostly not in terms of the content, but in terms of the presentation, uh, the editing, the the very moody um, restagings of certain events, the uh, oh, very over the top, almost true detective level uh, intro complete with fresh blood by eels. Uh, a song about either werewolves or vampirism, uh, which is a little bit much, um, which is really too bad because I think the the actual content, you know, the scenes of 
Jarecki sitting down with Durst and talking and going through uh, with the people who know, who know anything about the case is all very straightforward and non-sensationalistic, but some of it takes it a little bit far. Yeah, it was hard to keep watching for me when they do some of these different recreations and the way that like when we we get i think in the second or third episode it's the third episode susan um yeah. the dog walking and there's the blood on his feet and then the the camera slowly like pans over to a body and there's blood coming yeah like just the the slow pace of that and it, the it seemed to be lingering in and enjoying that moment and the suspense it knew the dread that the director knows he is creating or she is creating in the audience and that level of enjoyment and what felt like enjoyment uh, to me of, of this, this is a, this is somebody's mother. And when I say somebody, I mean that person we just walked talk about how right, their yeah. mother, the person that they can, they, <laughs> their adoptive mother basically died and they don't one one of them doesn't know who did it and one of them thinks they do uh or their sister or their friend and that was it was very hard for me to not just stop watching and if we weren't talking about it in the podcast i probably would have um it's just disturbing to me and i i this is again this is not fictional this is somebody's life this is you know somebody's death and I feel like it wasn't anywhere near respectful of that. And that's a that's significantly problematic for me. And I would absolutely tie the opening credits into that as well. They just are very excited to show different. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, here's one person who's going to die. And then there's another person. And ooh, who did it? It's right. Like, and dude. then here's Durst's mom walking off a roof. And it's like, really? We're doing this? Yeah. This, this is people's lives, guys. And also, like, it gets in the way of, like, whenever it goes back to Jarecki and Durst sitting in a room talking it out, that stuff is fascinating. It's fascinating. You, you can't not watch Durst talk and just try to pick him apart uh, because he's just, I mean, you, you're repulsed, but you can't not. He's like a train wreck is not the right descriptor. He's just, he's, he's, he's a lizard in person skin. He's like what Louis C.K. thought Donald Rumsfeld might be. Um and you know, whether that whether or not that makes him guilty, it's not for you or I to decide, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that stuff works great. And this other stuff gets in the way of like when um, when Durst is talking about. We're, I don't want to go too long here, but when Durst is talking about uh, watching his mother jump and uh, and his father taking him to see it, uh, I had questions about that that I wanted to ask. That mm -hmm. I wish directly thought like, why did your dad take? What did he think was happening? Did you ask him about that? What? What? And yeah. we just don't get that because we get, you know, instead more scenes like the ones you were talking about. So I don't know. Personally, I, I find it, you know, absolutely riveting. Uh, but also uh, it like, you know, it has some clear issues that I I'm surprised a uh, a seasoned documentarian like Jarecki is leaning into. Yeah. And uh, there's only a few episodes left. So I, I think I'm going to stay in for the duration um, and, and the the who they're selecting to talk to um, works really well. I think it balances very well with getting Durst's perspective to also get because it, it 
the sense I have from watching is that these friends of the first wife and these other people are, are like about damn time someone talks to us and lets us say what, yeah. we, what we know to have happened, whereas what Durst knows to have happened. Um, and they're um, they're amazing, by the way. They're fantastic, yeah. And and watching, like, just the different, the way that you, you can, you can get, uh, Drecky hints at the, the breakdown of friendships, like, long-term friendships over how people have reacted to Durst. And what he said and whether he, you know, whether they believe him or not. Um, so with those two good friends of Susan's, one thinks he obviously did it and one thinks he obviously didn't. And, you know, they have such completely different reads on how he reacted immediately after. Um, it's fascinating. And it's mm-hmm. and, and so the, the, all of that stuff is great. And so, like you say, when you have these very sens- sensationalistic, when you have these lurid, I would say, recreations that are completely unnecessary, it it's it angers me as a viewer. Yeah. I, I would say the single be- besides the one you said, the single best example is right at the beginning of, I think, the second episode when someone is asking Durst about his uh, his childhood and um, and it's like a real recording and and uh, and your mother died. Uh, yes. Violently. Yes. And then cut to theme. Whoa. Wow. Really? We did it like that. Yeah. OK. Yep. Anyways, I guess the jinx wins our weekend documentary. Uh, <laughs> but, but now, but it is, it is fascinating. And I, again, this is another one I'm looking forward. Let us know what you think about this and how they're, you know, the director's balancing all this, directly's balancing all this. So um, yeah, let us know. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama. drama i'm gonna preview secrets and lies and we'll talk better call saul nacho fortitudes episode five justified sounding the americans dime bag actually i think that's fortitude episode four we'll get to it anyways first i just wanted to mention that secrets and lies is starting up on abc this coming week um and uh, as i talked about in the mid-season previews i was pleasantly surprised to be sort of middling on it um it's <laughs> it's better than we expected uh based on its premise and and cast and everything, but um, there's nothing, after seeing the first couple episodes, there's nothing that really demands viewership as far as I'm concerned. It's better than it seems like it should be based on the premise of, you know, suburban, you know, tragedy in suburbia. Did the main character do it? Did kill a child? Or is he really, is he just a witness and uh, victim? 
of everything that's going on. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we can talk about that a little bit more next week, or if you want my fuller thoughts again, go back and check out our mid season preview. Let's move on to better call Saul. And we forgot to talk about this last week on the podcast. Sorry guys. Um, so Nacho, what, what, what did you think? Are you enjoying Michael Mando? Cause I'm really enjoying Michael Mando. I'm enjoying the hell out of Michael Mando. I'm also enjoying the hell out of Michael McKean, um, who, uh, it's such an it's so obvious in retrospect, but there is there's always a special delight to when you get to see someone who you've always for their entire career play big and wacky and ridiculous and then finally get to see them tone it down. Um, it's it's a very played out kind of pleasure, but it never really stops working for me. Uh, and this his performance to me is, is a great example of that. And um, you mentioned Michael Mando. And yes, to see him get to play. Uh, straight up menace after being so goofy and ridiculous on Orphan Black, I think is also just a treat. Yeah, I and and by the end of his arc, I did end up really enjoying Vic on uh, on Orphan Black, and who knows, maybe he'll be back. But um, but I was like, oh, he's actually a much better actor than you might think from what we mm-hmm. got to see him do on Orphan Black. That's very encouraging. Yes, uh, he may not. He may never be Maslani, but it's yeah. nice to, to see that he can play uh, m- more than one note. Personally, I'm really, really enjoying the series so far. Like more than I, I was, I was afraid that I that I might, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that they're doing a good job of taking sort of the Breaking Bad aesthetic, which is very present in. Uh, I mean, both the, we didn't get, we didn't talk about last week's episode, but that whole slightly overlong but still very cool. Mo- courtroom montage uh was so breaking bad um and and it, again this is an aesthetic that at least i have missed yeah uh me too and, and taking those those high aesthetic uh approaches and then adapting them to a considerably less uh stressful show or a, or at least where that where this the stakes aren't necessarily lower but because of the realities of the situation we know he's not gonna die uh, and the show knows that we know he's not going to die, so they so it knows not to, for the most part, um, use that, uh, try to make us forget that, or like do something, you know, try to con us into thinking that something's going to happen. Instead, it it just it 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 embraces that the stakes are lower, uh, which I think is the right way to go. Yeah, absolutely, it, it's very effective, and like you say, the the visual language and the feel of Breaking Bad is absolutely here, which is not something that I would have thought they could do or like I wouldn't have made that connection on because you know, you think Saul is just such a different character and such a different it's such a different performance than than Walter White. So you'd feel like at least for me, it just it seemed natural that the show would have a different feel, a different tone. Yeah, I imagine there I'm not the only one who's expecting a wackier tummy because it's Saul. So I imagine most people were expecting a wackier tone and to just go for the straight up the timing and pace pacing of breaking bad but telling this completely different story it it's really wonderful and now i kind of want that to be a staple like to be like a thing that this production team does whenever this show ends the next show they do it could be about anyone but still has this aesthetic what do you think is that transferable uh i think I don't know if it, if if they should transfer it or not. It makes sense if you think about it because it's, it's the same. Still, it's still world. the same universe. Yeah. It's literally the same setting. It's the same city, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the same general area. You're still dealing with the desert, um, and you're also dealing with similar 
uh, shady characters. Like, mm-hmm. just, just, you're not dealing with the same level of shady characters. You're not dealing with the same, um, the, the same, uh, strata, I guess, of, of yeah. shady characters. You're dealing with the street level shady characters, which admittedly you were doing for part of Breaking Bad. So it, it makes sense, if you think about it, for them to have, um, that same sort of set of visual reference points. What I like is what's different. I, I like the fact that, um, we've now had at least, three or four different uh, instances of Saul referencing a film from a very specific era. And I like that he has this very specific, like he references network. He references, um, I think all that jazz. He he references very specifically like, uh, like American auteur pieces of like the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and it's, it, it makes perfect sense for who he is and like the age of the character that he has that very specific set of reference points. And I, again, this is like taking, Taking the basic building blocks of how to of how to tell a story from Breaking Bad and then doing something uh, wildly different with it, which is very cool. I like that we get to spend more time with Kim. I like the I like getting to see Jimmy be good at this stuff, be mm-hmm. good as a lawyer, but also be you know just be kind of crafty because we know that Saul Saul's many things, but he's good at what he does. Um, and when so when when Jimmy becomes Saul, it's going to feel very organic. So yeah, it's just I think the way that this has been handled thus far. I mean, we're in episode three. This show feels incredibly confident. So I'm I, yeah, it's really moved up the ranks from show that I'm, you know, nervous about. Why do we even need this? To show I'm very glad that they're doing. Yeah, one thing I hope they don't do. This is a fan theory I've seen floated. Is that I what I don't want is in episode eleven or something an incidental character, uh, like he he knocks someone over by accident. It's oh I'm sorry. Is 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 everything okay? It's all good, man please don't let that be how it happens oh my god that's that's ridiculous oh. well i'm gonna transition us from one fun wild fan theory to another because after you had seen this week's episode of fortitude it's the fourth episode that's aired um episode four episode five whatever they're calling it uh you you did you sent me one of the the comments over at av club saying something about a woolly mammoth spirit or something. There's some fun fan theories going on about Fortitude. What did you think about this episode? Um, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I enjoy Fortitude. Um, can we say though, like as much as I enjoy the general atmosphere, general atmosphere, and um, and the setting and the cast and all the and all that stuff, um, they keep piling on more weirdness every week, and I don't know at what point that's going to stop being compelling slash uh, at what point is it, is it cool, bizarre, fun stuff? And at what point is it secrets? Because some of it is starting to feel a little bit secrets to me. Uh, yeah. And I think that's part of the fun, part of the energy of the show is watching them do this stuff and be like, okay, so how are you going to explain kid wandering through the snow barefoot? without going to woolly mammoth spirit you know like that's i think that's also part of the fun for me watching the show because there are so many really distinct nods to genre fiction and to you know like that this is with watching especially this episode when i was first trying to talk about the show before anybody had seen any of it uh and i made certain connections tonally to true detective that's what i'm talking about where they're like 
mm-hmm. have this these hints of the king in yellow. And I think with True Detective season one, that ultimately ended up being very unsatisfying because the solution they came up with was so much less interesting than anything anybody else had had, had theorized. <laughs> Any other way they could have gone would have been more interesting. Um, so I don't know if Fortitude's going to be able to pull it off, but I I want to think that they they've got something up their sleeve because if they don't, this is a stupid way to go about it. Yeah, and I think we're going to have to figure it out soon cuz uh the, ben- the 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 biggest not the biggest but one of the one of the best things about True Detective is it was what eight episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh this is 13 episodes. So if if they do this for 12 episodes and then in episode 13 Stanley Tucci did it <laughs> or whatever like just whatever that guy did it or that yeah. kid did it or yeah. that kid and that guy did it cuz they were banging I don't know. Just Whatever it is, like it's gonna need to be good. And <laughs> shows like this make me nervous. Uh, I'm I'm more of a fan of of series where the outcome isn't important or mm-hmm. is like you know think of like Top of the Lake. And I think that this is somewhere in between where, uh, yes, uh, the atmosphere is cool. Yes, the setting is cool, and that's sort of getting me through part of it. But I but unlike I would say Top of the Lake, I don't. Um, I don't latch onto the characters in the same way, uh, mostly because the show is withholding so much from us. Uh, so I think there's going to need to be a turning point at which the characters start clicking and or the narrative starts clicking. Uh, otherwise, it's going to hit a breaking point. That being said, I'm enjoying the ride for now. I'm more invested in the characters than it sounds like you are, uh, particularly the sheriff. I, I find that character very um, interesting to follow. Um, so while I may not you know, have strong opinions but i really like this character i feel like i really know this character i'm very interested in that character which is certainly helping and uh just like starting trying to like cast around and think about who could have done it uh you know amongst the characters they've introduced i feel like i know them well enough to to know that none of them did which isn't probably true but you know like i feel like i have a sense of these different characters which to me means that they're doing a good job of establishing them whether or not that's an accurate sense remains to be seen but um although that risks betrayal uh if and when you find out which one of them did you're like that doesn't square with what you've already seen um and uh can i just say also this was my first encounter with feederism which won't judge won't judge. Although I think the show desperately wants us to judge. Oh well, yeah. Well, that's because um, she does not seem like a Into willing, it. yeah, par- partner at all. She's not a willing partner. She's just very, very sad, and very um, lonely. And he's taking advantage of that. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you judge away because she is not an equal partner. And that's when you get to judge. Yeah, yeah. it's not. It's, the judging yeah. isn't the feederism. The judging is. The manipulation uh, of of someone who's yeah. desperately sad. Yeah, those scenes very unsettling. Yeah, yep, definitely. Um, well, let's move on to our next show here. That's justified sounding. Um, let's 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 leave Ava and Raylan for the end. Let's start with the rest okay. of the episode. What did you think? Uh, by and large, I thought this was a super fun episode. I think actually it was the most fun and the most propulsive uh, the season's been so far. Um, there was so much to like, and I like what I find uh interesting is that we're five episodes into the season, and we've already seen, with one exception, uh, every important or not maybe not even that important recurring 
character who is still alive has already shown up uh, and potentially may show up for another week or two. But this is pretty much it, uh, which I think is smart for them to do. Uh, it, it does have, you mentioned, uh, off mic, uh, a ticking box element, which I think is there, but I think if they were going to do that, it's better that they do it now instead of, uh, an episode or two from the end. I'm um, yeah. Box ticking. I'll say, cause you said ticking box. I immediately go to ticking. Sorry, bomb. Box t- yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. So when, when they bring in constable Bob and nobles holler, I was really excited until it felt like they were just paying them lip service and not actually drawing them in for significant reasons. Um, I felt like Loretta being drawn in felt very organic and gave specific, you know, had, there were specific benefits to it being Loretta. I did not see a specific benefit, you know, like why is it constable Bob and not a random police officer, you know? Well, why at that point you say, why not constable Bob? But yeah, um... but that's not a good enough reason as far as I'm concerned, as much as I love the character, I want them to to really need to have these other characters. And I think the biggest one for me, though, is not as much Constable Bob. It's really Noble's Holler. It right. felt it felt very perfunctory. So I'm hoping that we will see more from Limehouse. I think that's going to depend on, uh, yeah, what happens in future weeks. Uh, if Limehouse and Nobles are still going to be involved, which it seems like they will. Like, I don't see how they can not be, considering Ava's now on their shit list and they take their shit lists very seriously. Um, at least until the Marshals get involved and they're like, okay, fine, we'll stop. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I'm just glad that, they, that I, for now, at least I'm theoretically, uh, glad that they've been pulled back into this conflict. And I think that, that will hopefully reap dividends later. Um, have, have we talked about Jeff Fahey yet? Uh, we have not talked about Jeff Fahey yet. Let's do that. Uh, awesome. he is so good. He fits so effortlessly. He and his... A enormous gun uh, <laughs> i just love the way they frame his shotgun uh that thing is huge uh and the whole standoff with with uh with boyd and the whiskey and them uh having that back and forth and also just the fact that we get to meet someone in ava's family i think is just really cool uh and sort of helps to y- y- just when you think they've run out of ways to flesh out the world um, it's nice for them to th- to think of these little pockets of yeah. It kind of makes sense that we haven't seen him yet. If he hates Boyd and has a good reason, mm-hmm. um, and so like they they can only pull this card so many more times, and they've only got so much time to anyway. So if you're gonna do it, you may as well do it with Jeff Fahey and a big fucking shotgun. So wow, I bleeped out the wrong part the wrong part of that word. Anyway, um, so yes, everything with Jeff Fahey was good. The whole. I loved all the specificity of the mining talk and um, whether or not it was real. I have no idea, uh, but I like that they that it that it had a, a sense of like all the characters sort of dorking out about mining. And also the shot of Boyd looking down the shaft was very haunting. Yeah. And it's nice that in the final season, they're going back so strongly to the mining. And and, you know, that is such a big part of Raylan Boyd's connection and you know, just that area. So I, it's, it's a smart move as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think we've put it off as long as we can, you know, almost as long as we can. Let me just say quickly, I really like the scene with Wynn and Catherine here. There are children. <laughs> I love that Wynn is as terrified of children as they are of him. Yeah, that was pretty great. But we, we can't really put it off any longer. Ava and Raylan thoughts. Uh, in a way I'm impressed uh, that, a, um, they've been able to, if, if they were going to do this, I'm sort of impressed that they held off so long. <laughs> like we've had 
like what four seasons of them having almost no connection yeah. and then to call back on that i mean one of the reasons uh i've been thinking about what the timeline of the series is is which i gathered the rough timeline of the whole show is something like three years based on the baby i'm basing everything around the baby and the fact that most of the seasons seem to take place over a couple weeks yeah and then with it with a time gap in between uh so like max three years so it makes sense that they would still have chemistry and there would be that immediate uh physical recall uh that doesn't mean that it's something that i necessarily want them to lean on very heavily i'm hoping that it's going to be kind of a blip yeah me too and uh we've talked about this in the past on the show uh ava from season one does not feel like ava from season three and uh she does not feel like ava from season three in a very inorganic way just like we have this actress we like and we have this character but we want her to be on the show but not with raylan uh boy um so you know they i really think they had issues with how they you know problems with how they handled that progression from where she is at the end of season one to where she is uh by the end of season three and so to call back to season one ava here was just it didn't fit for me at all and another thing we were talking about this before something you mentioned so much of this is has to be driven by her honestly believing that boyd would kill her and i don't believe that and i don't believe that she would think that yeah i it's tricky and and, and they lampshade this a little bit by having Raylan be like boyd doesn't know anything boyd is too smitten and too stupid when it comes to you to figure this out and he's dead on um it would be nice if they made Raylan just completely wrong also at some point this season but yeah. anyway um and uh, i i mean i guess it, it works if you accept that ava is just kind of dumb <laughs> which uh we don't have much evidence to support except that she's with boy which is kind of dumb um if you think about it but yeah so if if so if that's true if she is just kind of dumb uh then she's a hard character to care about so it's tricky um i can see why they did it they need to handle this very carefully and i don't think they will because they tend not to handle avic or anything else that carefully um that being said I, I i could still see them doing something compelling with it in the same way that they managed to do some compelling stuff with ava and boyd uh i mean the proposal very, is still yeah some very compelling stuff like that's probably my favorite like drama marriage proposal of the last like 10 years that was so good mm -hmm. um but uh yeah that it's just 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 watching that scene i was like no 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 oh my god they did it oh <laughs> jesus they did it oh man they've really done it now <laughs> so i don't that i i'm enjoying so much of the season that i'm like oh god no don't don't let this go seriously sideways yeah well we'll let's Let's do our best to reserve judgment until we see the we'll next table episode. It. We'll table it for now. Um, and let's let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's the Americans, Dimebag. Um, and let's let's start with a squick. So we've got the babysitter character, and mm. I love how uh, uncomfortable and terrible and awkward it is to watch uh, Philip interact with a girl two years older than his daughter. And just really not want to be there, uh, but have to pretend he really does. It's it's an excellent performance that we're getting right now from Matthew Reese. Yeah, and also, and Julia Garner is very good as well. I've seen her in a couple things, including the uh, 
unfortunate American remake of We Are What We Are. Uh, and she's she's uh, she's a very strong actress, and she's good here in uh, not in in, a, in what should on paper be a very squicky and thankless role. Um, the the two scenes we get of uh, sorry, let me whoop whoop whoop. Uh, the sequence we get of her playing uh, Yaz slash Yazoo's only you, um, which comes at the beginning of side B. So props to the uh, to the research department for the specificity of that, uh, which I'm sure I've I mean, I'm very familiar with that song. I'm sure I've seen it played on other, especially in films from that period. And the song has a sense of like elation and uh, very. Uh, this very overt sense of romance to it <laughs> and to have that be happening over this very wrong set of circumstances is one of the most sort of sublimely uncomfortable moments on a drama I can remember in recent months at least yeah no I don't disagree and you know the subtext of everything this season is Paige and so you know, watching, I feel like I can hear a conversation happening psychically between Elizabeth and Philip every time they have to discuss or figure out what's going on with the babysitter. <laughs> be like, yeah, so you want our daughter to be put in this position, you know, where two years from now they're like, go seduce a 30-year-old man, 50-year-old man? Because they, they do that. They would they would whore out our daughter, and you want her to do this. You think this is good for her. Like I, I love the subtext of all that, and the fact that, that it just really doesn't get discussed most of the time. No, yeah, and it's 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 not even like you're right. It's it's sort of it's happening. You, you almost want Matthew Reese to look into the lens, and like, like point his finger at his forehead and like or at his temple or whatever, and just be like, really, really, you want this, Jane the Virgin. It is important for you to know what Philip was thinking. <laughs> oh my God! Someone needs to make that happen. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, everything about that. Oh, um, I still like everything we're getting with Stan and his general uh, falling apart at every possible seam uh, is, is still compelling to watch. I'm not totally sure where they're going with uh, Nina. Uh, if if she's going to be back in the States by the end of the season, uh, that seems quick mm -hmm. uh, unless there's a time lapse of some kind. But if she's not, I'll be wondering why we're following her around. Uh, that being said, I, I don't mind spending time with, with the character uh, or with Annette Mahendra. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. I, I'm in the same place with you uh, as you with that, where it's just what, why are we watching this? I mean, I like the character and the actress, but I I feel like I needed to start tying in a bit more to to keep from feeling disjointed. But otherwise, like you said, I, I'm also enjoying stuff we're getting with Stan. I like what we're getting with Martha, where Martha wants to adopt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the headache um, that comes with that. Uh, yes. So all of it is good. I mean, honestly, there's nothing bad. There's nothing grown-worthy this season that I'm just like, I don't know why we're doing this. Uh, I don't care about this. I care about all of it. I even care about the stuff that I don't know where it's going or why we're watching it like the Annette Mahendra stuff. Uh, so yes, it's, 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 it's all been pretty much dynamite. Um, well on that note, the Americans award goes to the Americans. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I will agree as well, though, uh, honorable mention to a fun episode of fortitude for me this week. Um, just, 
I look forward to seeing if they have a solution to everything that they're presenting. Um, but now a few show notes. You can find a post-up for this episode at sound.site.org where you can let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can write us or email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook to follow the going sound of Site TV and uh, start up a conversation there. You can also find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And of course, we're both up on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Simon, you are? At Sucker Howl. And Simon, what is their question of the week? Assuming that you're a, a normal person who has gotten sick of the Oscars, uh, who would they need to sucker in to host to make you watch it? Okay. If not NPH, because if NPH isn't, isn't going to do it for you, and he didn't for me because I love him, but no, uh, who would it take? Who would it take to get, if you don't watch the Oscars, who would it take to get you to watch the Oscars? Um, I mean, I feel like the easy answer there is Faye and Polar, but they've said they're not going to do it. But maybe they backed up a Brinks truck? <laughs> maybe uh i feel like i would have to go total um anarchy to make it happen like i would need to get like neil hamburger in there or like tim and eric or steve Brule or like some sort of adult swim character to host it to, to to capture what i feel to be a very grotesque ceremony i think they would need to find someone to match uh, i think that's what it would take for me too many oscars <laughs> yes exactly get smarf in there <laughs> nice uh well let us know what you guys think um and uh i look forward to hearing you know the various hosting lineups that our listeners come up with but for now we're gonna take a break and come back with noel kirkpatrick of tv.com to talk good eats so we'll be right back after this zen like in simplicity and complexity alike the egg possesses the most potent powers in the kitchen universe. This mild-mannered, retro-looking carrying case houses a dynamic duo of culinary superheroes, the yolk and the white. Both amazing in their own right, put them together, and you've just got plain dynamite. But do we really tap this wellspring of goodness? Do we use all the blades on this edible Swiss Army knife capable of, of, of changing mere liquids into custard, of, of leaping tall souffle dishes in a single breath? Or have we even forgotten the simple pleasures of a perfect plate of scrambled. Join us for an investigation we call The Egg Files. We're going to pursue a higher understanding of this ubiquitous ovoid. We're going to evaluate the hardware and implement the procedures necessary to ensure its proper cooking. Stick around, because in here, good eats. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, it's our first reality kind of educational show. I feel like it's a new category for us. We've done reality before, but never a show quite like this. Uh, we're talking Good Eats. And here to help us from TV.com, it's Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. So what made you want to talk about Good Eats? Uh, you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you had suggested uh talking about it on twitter one day and i was just went that's a great idea we should talk about a cooking shows because cooking shows often don't get discussed in normal tv discourse so and good eats is a good show that merges a lot of different television ideas it's a very televisual cooking show compared to a lot of other ones so i think it's actually a really good choice for us to discuss yeah, this is a show that I uh, yeah I threw out there on Twitter because I was watching some. That eventually this was a thing that would happen, and I'm glad that you you uh, picked up on that and uh, 
you know, took took that on for the DVD shelf. Um, this is a show that aired, uh, basically in the, in the aughts, but you know, ninety nine to twenty eleven. So I didn't realize how that it aired for fourteen seasons. But it's a show that I really watched a lot of in high school, in college. Like I've seen a lot of good eats. And it's a show that I really love because it blends cooking, which I really enjoy, but with science and it's super cheesy and ridiculous, but it's also, I find very helpful. And because I'm a nerd, I really like thinking about cooking from a scientific perspective. And so, you know, having certain kind of rules of baking or cooking that we kind of take for granted explained as to, well, here's why it works. And here's, you know, because of that, that you can extrapolate that out to tweak this part of the procedure of making whatever food you're making and it'll be better. That's really is like a custom designed thing for me. Uh, Noel, did you, did you, had, had you had like, how much goodies had you seen before we started talking about it? Uh, quite, uh, uh, I would say quite a bit. I mean, I was never a regular watcher um, when I was, Food Network was something that was always on in my house for some reason, especially, um, in the um, 2010s and early 2010s, I should say. And it was just one of those things where it was always on. So if there was a good eats rerun on, we would watch it, but it was always just cooking shows and that sort of thing. were always just entertainment. We never really watched it to go, huh, we should make that going through it again and watching a bunch of episodes on Netflix and then buying some on Amazon instant. I went through and just went, I should make that this time around. So that was really nice. Simon, what was your relationship with the show? Had you seen it before? Uh, I'd never seen Good Eats. I'd obviously seen, uh, as someone who um, spent a lot of uh, lazy university days uh, sitting around delaying working on stuff and watching the Food Network, I was familiar. It's really good for that. It is. It's really good for procrastination. Um, I had become familiar with Alton Brown as a hoster of things. Uh, it had never occurred to me that this man who looked very much like a British pedophile uh, <laughs> was perhaps himself a, a chef. I didn't know that he actually had uh, skills. I just I just saw him hosting stuff like Chopped and things like that. Uh, so I, I I didn't I was unaware of his of his pedigree. I guess at this point he's retired from the uh, from the actually cooking on TV part of things because he's just he's got his bona fides out of the way. Um, and now having seen about a dozen episodes of the show, I think what's uh, most impressive to me about it is uh, the its encyclopedic nature. Um, like between the 14 seasons, I mean, obviously I haven't seen, I've seen maybe, what, a 30th of the show or a 40th, <laughs> uh, some ludicrous, ludicrously small fraction. Um, but just look, going over the, the episode list, uh, I mean, there are, two episodes just about water uh there's episodes devoted to uh to myth smashing sorry not busting uh as he makes clear um there are episodes devoted to uh not just cooking but every aspect of sort of cooking culture uh so there's if you can think of a major ingredient uh not just ingredient group but just single ingredient he's probably devoted an episode to it um, and, uh, every topic you can think of that you would possibly want to learn anything about, he's probably done more than one episode on, uh, and he'll even, you know, in the middle of often in the middle of later episodes, I'd watch it be like, we've done that already. Here's a clip from that, uh, which I assume must have just gotten ridiculous by season 14. But, um, I, I think it's, it's sort of a, it's a nice compliment to, 
if you have a bookshelf replete with cooking with cookbooks, you're sort of wary of of cracking open another time. I think this is sort of another way to approach uh, that sort of encyclopedic uh, encyclopedic approach to food knowledge. Well, and I love that it's a show just as interested in why as how. And and for me, watching, you know, again, like you said, just having Food Network on <laughs> was just, it's very handy. And it's very, it's very handy for if you're trying to procrastinate, you're like, well, maybe just one more. Um, so having watched a lot of different types of shows, that was what really stood out to me about Good Eats. And that's what made me want, made me want to initially start watching it and like kind of set it to the DVR when I was in, in college to catch different, different episodes. It's that it doesn't just tell you, here's what you should do. It says, here's what you should do and here's why. And it's just as interested in that as it is everything else. And so just kind of telling, repeating the same maxims, because at a certain point, there are certain rules of, of cooking and baking that any different cooking show is going to agree with. But for me, this is one of the very few shows that says, okay, and here's why, and here's the history of that. And this is why it's important. And this is why I, we tell you that you should do this. Um, so that's what really makes it stand out to me. And it's not every uh, cooking show that will in the midst of say the barbecue episode uh, in which he builds a, a homemade ceramic cooker. If you feel like doing that, <laughs> uh, I never will, but it was good to know that I can. Um, it's not every cooking show that will have a little infographic, a little intertitle pop up on the screen saying, it's rumored that the first use of barbecuing was for human flesh. Um, yeah, I, I like that it's got a little bit of uh, sort of oddball personality to it. It's not just, as you say, it's not just about putting ingredients together. It's about learning about the ingredients and the history of the ingredients, about learning where we get the spices from, even like the the origin of words like he has an entire episode devoted to curry that explains how curry doesn't exist in india even though we all associate it with india and they're just like it doesn't exist there and this is why and so here's how we can make actual masala instead of using curry powder and this sort of thing so i mean there's a lot of really neat ideological stuff at play in this show that has puppets continuity and just all sorts of other randomness happening. Yeah. Well, I, and I do think that uh, you mentioned the pu puppets. Of course, that's that's tender and flaky. You punch them in the head. And uh, the yeast puppets. Don't forget the oh, yeast yes, puppets. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, the burping yeast puppets. Very important. Uh, that does I – mean, it just it, there's such a DIY feel to the, the whole show. This is a show that uh, Alden Brown started uh, very small. It was a local kind of cooking show, as I understand it, when I first – got when he first started doing it um and it's very it's very diy like you say there's there, there's puppets that look like he made out of some leftover socks he got from his grandma and then there's uh, i mean like the recurring gags they have the same like two actors play everybody um and and it's just it's it's super super cheesy and for, for me that gives the show quite a bit of its charm although some of it is um i some of it, I, I feel like, has bits of personality that uh, would get ironed out uh, in, a, in a more polished uh, production, some of which uh, I think is good that it's there, some of which I gave side-eye to. Like, um, there's an episode where he brings in his uh, his grandma, or his Mima, I think he calls her, um, and they have a, a biscuit off. They, they, they sort of make biscuits side-by-side, side, and it's cool because there's... It's mostly them making 
opposing biscuits in a in a series of really long takes, which is neat in sort of a geeky way. But also like he refers to her as Yoda and talks about her being 175 years old and like is gen- generally talks about and to his grandma in a way that would would have gotten me smacked when I was a kid. Uh <laughs> things things like that I was like Really, you want you thought that was a good idea to put on TV, but I'm I'm probably just being too sensitive about grandparents. Yeah, that one didn't bother me, but uh, but I do think that, I just think that's funny that that's, uh, that that stood out to you, Simon. Any thoughts, Noel? Well, I th- I've he's pretty rude to most of his family members. On, I mean, he's really mean to his sister when she's oh, on. Oh, so mean. So I think it's just one of those things where you just kind of roll with the fact that. Especially like in the South, I mean, which is where he's from and where most of the show was shot once it was picked up by Food Network. He filmed it around in Atlanta for the most part. And it's just one of those things where in a lot of cases, you're just kind of mean to your family sometimes and everyone understands. And that's where also food comes in. and Food makes everything better. So even if you're yelling at one another, food makes things better. Wait, have we just determined that the American South actually hates family? <laughs> no, you're allowed to hate your own family. You can't hate. You can't. Other people can't hate your family, though. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, and they're also very much characters. Everything is. They're yeah. very extreme caricatures. Uh, like we meet. He's A B Alton Brown, and he's got a brother B A, who wears a motorcycle jacket and is him scowling. I mean, it's it's very silly. This I don't yeah. have any sense that this is what his family is actually like but i do know that for for some people alton brown just they they can't get into the show because he feels smug or he they don't like him i think he's a good host i enjoy his uh approach but i know that that is not necessarily that it was surprising to me to realize that for a not insignificant chunk of people that i knew uh that i know i should knew like i cut them out of my life when they didn't like good eats um that i know uh, alton brown is a he, he really turns them off as a host uh did that come up for either of you oh he's definitely smug he is 100% a smarmy smuggy bastard but i think that um it's okay to be smug and smarmy if you've earned it and just to a degree anyway. Uh, and I think that he earns it because he, he earns his keep every week just through sheer ridiculous. Like you wonder what other life and brain functions he has shunned in favor of just food knowledge uh, because he, there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think may, some of that may just be a television persona as well. I mean, he does come off as kind of a know-it-all, but I mean, it's a know-it-all-ness that's backed up by a lot of stuff and presented in, I think, a really entertaining manner. So I can understand why people think he's smug, but I've never really felt like that about him. I felt it a little bit when I watched the live show. He came off as a little, like, more aggressive in the live show anniversary episode that they had on Netflix that I watched. But for the most part, I think on the show him itself... I think he has a very definitive perspective on how food should be prepared and how we should be thinking about food. And maybe that's what might turn people off. There's a degree of trying to make food accessible in his show, but there's also you need to know all of this as well. That could maybe also turn people off when they just want to know how to make a really nice crown pot roast. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, the, um, 
there if if you're not patient and if you aren't a completist this is not the show for you because for example i uh recommended i don't know if you guys were able to watch it but the coconut cake episode because i love his coconut cake recipe i make it every couple years uh for my grandma for her birthday because she she likes coconut cake but you you know he's not willing to cut corners on that so you get you start with coconuts and you bake them and you crack them open and you peel them and then you shred them and then you make, you don't buy coconut milk, you make coconut milk and you make coconut cream and you make coconut extract. And then after that's had two weeks to sit in the fridge, then you you are allowed to go to the next phase of it. You know, it's very, it's very particular. And for certain types of home cooks, this just, they just don't have the time for it. And it could also be why, to your point, Simon, why he's not on the air anymore. I mean, Food Network's branding and Food Network's cooking shows have shifted significantly since his time on the air, where it's much quicker meals almost and easier to construct meals. Uh, well, and and also, like, I don't know if, if that's why. It's possible that after 14 seasons, he was just like, okay, I, it's covered. Food is done. I did all the food. Um, but the uh it's it's like like as kate was saying it's not just that he is exacting uh although he's i don't find he's needlessly exacting all of the time he just i think he's more exacting on some things than others it's that he he is of the view that there is a in general one correct way to do the thing so if you have already been making um i don't know chocolate chip cookies one way and his way is in some fashion philosophically opposed to yours not necessarily just because it's it's harder to do uh if you have a particularly dogmatic view of the way you're cooking and it doesn't line up with the way he's doing it especially because he's so convinced that it is categorically the correct one uh, again this is not going to be your show now i mentioned that i have made several of his recipes uh noel you said that watching you this time made you think i should i should Try that. Have you actually ever made any anything that you because you know either because you saw it on Good Eats or from one of those recipes? No, um, I'm actually going to look. I was actually going through some of his recipes on the Food Network site while I was watching the live show to like pick some stuff out. Um, he did an episode to tofu, and I watched that episode, and there were some nice ingredient ideas in there that I had been struggling with because I used to make tofu all the time, but it started coming out tasting exactly the same. So, and I could never really find a nice way to prepare it again at home that was also kind of easy as well. So his tofu episode was helpful. So I'm actually going to try to make his a couple of his different tofu recipes soon. Simon, what about you? Uh, well, I did go through a couple of staples um, through the site, and then I ended up did I did end up watching uh, the chocolate chip cookie episode. Uh, but I I I did the. The skinny cookie recipe, which, uh, as noted elsewhere on the internet, uh, did not result in the sort of um, perfectly flat cookie described uh, on the website. It was tasty. That being said, uh, I was not, you know, I try to follow the letter of the recipe, which is impossible for me because uh, I do not have a stand mixer because uh, I'm not married. Uh, nor engaged to be married. So, so you haven't registered for it yet. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, Not like you expect that whoever you marry will come with a stand mixer. No, <laughs> although, you know, maybe if anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I wonder if in the future, when you can marry yourself or a pet, if you could register. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I do also want to mention out there for those listening, he doesn't even have a hand mixer. 
No, so so no. you made all this stuff, uh, Simon, just by whisking by hand. Uh, and props to you for that because that I I just wouldn't I just wouldn't make anything <laughs> if I had to whisk everything by hand. Right. Um, no, I just, I'm stubborn that way. Uh, see also other things that I do, but the, um, I also just sort of did a couple of like staple things. Like it had been a long time since I made a baked potato in an oven. Cause I just, I just gotten so used to doing it in a microwave, which mm-hmm. I know is not a baked potato, but it's just, it's got a potato setting. <laughs> How can I not use my oven? Doesn't have a potato setting. It's not fair. And it's, you know, six times faster or whatever. But I thought, no. I will do it right. I will do everything he says, and I'll do a proper baked potato, and it was delicious. <laughs> so so the recipes that you tried, the kind of staple things, those passed the test? Uh, yes. I mean, the cookies were very, were, were not uh, as described, but they were very tasty, and I, I brought them to school and were enjoyed by all. Um, the, the, the dry goods distribution may not have been uh, perfect due to my um, analog mixing techniques. But uh, it definitely they were they were both uh, both tasty. Okay, fair enough. Well, do you guys have uh, any other like w- what are the because you both watched a handful of episodes? What are the episodes that stood out to you? What are the defining characteristics of this show? Like, what makes for a good episode of Good Eats, or are they all just pretty uniform? Defining characteristic, dude loves the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, that first egg episode, actually, um, I've eaten in the diner where he starts cooking. He goes in the back of the kitchen where he starts cooking the egg and then they get angry at him. I've actually eaten in that diner before. It's a good diner. Um, I think the big defining characteristic of what makes a good show for me is it needs to be appropriately silly. Like, I mean, it needs to, like, explain things in a kind of an unorthodox way. Um, I'm trying to remember what the episode was where he got two football players to play out as two opposing warring factions for something. And I can't remember what it was, but it was just bizarre because he was sitting there on this football field making food with these two football players, like jogging in place and explaining things. I think the other thing that kind of sets him apart is how it can kind of get a little bit personal. His episode where he explains his diet and how he lost weight and why he lost weight was, I thought, really interesting and in how he kind of explained that, which then, of course, involved the recurring characters of his lawyer showing up and explaining things as well. <clears throat> and I think that's what kind of sets it apart when the show engages in itself in a little bit of reflexivity. So long as that's there, I think that's an episode of Good Eats. Yeah, there's certainly um, he the you know as a host, Alden Brown is very he's very passionate about what he does about food and, and all of that. We've as we've already discussed, but there are certain topics that you can tell hit a lot closer to home. Things that he feels much more personally about, like you know, for you know, being a, a Southern boy, he's got strong feelings on grits and on biscuits, and uh, you know, there there are certain foods that you can tell that he has an extra connection to and those usually make for particularly uh strong episodes i would say yeah no there's that um fried chicken episode where he dresses up as his i guess his grandfather who's basically just colonel sanders but himself dressed as colonel sanders yeah that was that was weird as well Well, do we have any any final thoughts on on Good Eats or uh, you know, like what what does this cooking show do that other ones don't do 
And like, could, could, could this level of DIY kind of cheesy and not at all slick cooking show make it at this point? No. Uh, at least not based on, I haven't watched Food Network in a while, like maybe a year, but it seems to me that immediately after this show ended, uh, the big difference to me is, uh, I mean, people are still allowed to have personality, uh, but the personality is very much sort of sidelined in favor of, um, it's sort of like the difference between homicide and CSI, okay? Okay. Like, like the, the cooking shows have become much more sort of formulaic and procedural, and they don't have as much, uh, as much personality and they're not as interested in 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 the process itself does that make any sense a little bit yeah um i think one of the big <laughs> things you. yeah no i think one of the big things with food network is not only just the fact that the approach to cooking has changed from since he was on it but also how they tell people what how to make the dishes i mean for his show those dishes can be prepared for anything there's not a story around the food the food is the story and that's shifted significantly where we're learning where episodes are more focused on creating a story where you need to prepare this kind of stuff for a dinner party or for a brunch mm -hmm. or so on and so on and his food is just like eh, if you want to make fried chicken or tofu or red velvet cake. Here's all the history behind all of this, but without any organizing factor behind it. And I think that's what's different now is that there's, you've got a busy evening now on, so here's 10 minute meals type of thing, or here's how to make something on a budget and so forth and so on, depending on the situation that you're cooking in. And I think that's where they're wanting to go. They want a story for the food as opposed to the food being the story. So it's like a it's like a shift from food television to lifestyle television. Right. And I think that you can see also in how they've shifted a lot a fair number of their cooking personalities to the cooking channel as opposed to being on the food network. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, each episode is centered around a, a, ty a type of food or a dish or, or, or a, sort, yeah. or like a cooking process. So yeah. we're going to fry stuff. Here's a bunch of different things you can fry. We're going to pickle stuff. Yeah. Here's a bunch of different things you can pickle. Um, or here are five different ways here. Here is how you make Christmas cookies. And here are five different ways that you can personalize those to make them have different flavors. And w with using the same process, you know, there's, it's like you say, no, the center of the starting point for each episode is a food rather than an experience, maybe. Yeah. Um, so that's an interest, interesting thought. Well, do we have any final thoughts on, on uh, Good Eats and uh, Alton Brown or any of the stuff in general? Simon, are you glad you to have dipped into the world of, uh, of cooking shows? Uh, yes, although, to be perfectly honest, flan still appears disgusting to me. <laughs> <laughs> That is, it just wobbles. It just, you're not comfortable with the way it wobbles. The wobbling and the the stuff goes everywhere. And it just, it looks like, uh, it, it looks like someone interrupted a real cooking process and then just decided it was done. Fair enough. I've, uh, I've never made flan. Uh, so I, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. Um, though I do, the one that I, I do still want to make that I have not tried yet is souffle. I tried to make it once. I don't know. I've never had good souffle, so I don't know what it's supposed to taste like. So I don't even know if I like it. But 
Uh, but I feel like I should, you know, I don't know. It's a whole thing. Uh, uh, Noel, any final thoughts on Good Eats or Flan or Souffle? Um, neither in the last two, but uh, I thank you for wanting to discuss Good Eats. This was a nice way to revisit the show for me. And it also reminded me that I really enjoy Alton Brown in general. Like, I mean, I enjoy him on how much fun he's clearly having on Cutthroat Kitchen. But I had kind of forgotten how much fun it is to watch him talk about food as opposed to just sabotage people with crab claws. <laughs> Good times. Well, thank you so much, Noel, for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, I'm on TV.com, so you can find weekly reviews of shows there. And I'm on Twitter at NoelRK. And uh, thank you again so much, Noel, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.